0: Welcome to this APTA podcast.
1: Hello and welcome, and thanks for joining us. I'm Troy Elliott, and in this podcast, we're going to be focused on state advocacy issues. So uh, when I was first thinking about how to introduce this conversation, I was gonna start with the old, you may not realize it, but advocacy isn't just about federal issues approach. But um, that's not really right. If you're listening to this, you probably do realize that what happens in your state legislature matters a lot. Uh, everything from prior authorization rules to whether PTs can order imaging or authorize, you know, even handicapped parking placards to what prospective PTs and when they can sit for their licensing exam. Just a lot of stuff that matters happens on a state by state basis. So I'm just going to assume you know probably firsthand why these conversations are important. In this podcast, we're gonna be taking a look at what happened uh, around the states in 2022 and what might be happening in 2023. And we're gonna get some additional perspectives on another huge, uh, primarily state-based topic, Medicaid. And we've got the experts to do it. With me today are Daniel Markels, Manager of State Affairs for APTA, and Taj Franklin, APTA State Affairs Specialist. And welcome to both of you. Daniel, last time we did one of these was, I think, January, and we were talking about the issues that we were expecting to see in state legislatures. You gave us a great rundown of that. Now, with state legislative sessions months behind us, or mostly, I think, I'm hoping we can follow up and find out what happened. Um, we... Can't be exhaustive here, obviously. Listeners can find a more detailed roundup on our website. Uh, If you just search 2022 state legislation roundup in the search bar at the top of our website, you'll find an article we did back in August, I think, that goes into a bit more depth. But I did want to hit on some of the highlights in terms of larger themes that seem to be emerging. So let's start with prior authorization, which can be a big administrative burden for providers. So I've got two questions for you. First, why is prior authorization uh, you know, such a prevalent issue at the state level? And second, where have we seen some movement on that this year?
2: Sure. Thanks, Troy. Yeah, prior authorization has just been, uh, for lack of a better word, a, a headache for a lot of uh, PT providers as it is for other medical professions. It just holds up treatment. It requires a lot of paperwork and really keeps folks from really delivering the care that their patients need. One thing to, to focus on and remember when you're talking about state legislation as it relates to insurance, that's what we're talking about with prior authorization, is the state has a somewhat limited ability to legislate requirements on insurers. Basically, they have authority over two different types of insurance. One is Medicaid, which Otaj is going to talk about later in general. This is a state administered program. In some cases, it is uh, administered by what we call MCOs, which are basically insurance companies that. The state Medicaid offices have contracted with to administer these programs. In other cases, the state is uh, their state agency is administering it. So they have the ability, state legislatures, to to regulate uh, to a large degree. There are federal rules that uh, they have to live within uh, live within, but they have the ability to do that. And then on the commercial side, really, it's small group and individual policies. A lot of the larger employers operate under what we call uh, ERISA plans, which uh, refers to um, a federal law and basically they are exempt from state requirements. So some of the requirements and some of the things that we're going to talk about just now in terms of prior authorization and a few other things as it relates to payment really are focused on potentially those two subpopulations. So large companies, um, that are operating in multiple states. Generally, companies that are self-insured, larger companies generally c- can afford to be self-insured are exempt from a lot of these things. So why they are some of these laws that are being passed are definitely helpful to uh, PT providers and their patients, there is a, a limit to what the states can do. So let me just run down a few bills that passed and and maybe give you a little bit of a preview of what we expect in twenty twenty three as legislatures look to reconvene in January. First, just to talk about a couple of bills that passed this last year was in Iowa, where a new law, uh, a bill that passed in Iowa, restricts utilization review organizations um, that work with insurance companies from revoking or limiting payment for a service that has received prior authorization and was provided to a covered patient. The change holds commercial payers to the terms of the authorization initially received by the provider. Another bill that passed in Louisiana says that commercial payers in the state will now be required to create a program that factors in a provider's performance and adherence to evidence-based medicine when establishing the level of prior authorization that will be required. So they can't kind of make these requirements willy-nilly. They have to have some evidence and performance data behind them. Another bill that provided guardrails on prior authorization in Michigan says that, that passed says that commercial insurers are now subject to more parameters around prior authorization, including standardized transaction processes, an emphasis on prior authorization decisions that are based on peer reviewed clinical criteria, established timelines for payers, prior authorization response, and more transparency from insurers. So those are kind of things that are happening at the state level to try and rein some of those in. Some other approaches that we've seen have been, and I didn't see any in in this session, Washington State a couple of years ago was one that got a bill passed that said commercial insurers, you cannot require prior authorization for the first, I think it's um, six PT visits. So, you know, we could see more states. I know at least one state is looking at a bill that might look like that next year in 2023 we're talking to state chapters and seeing what they're looking to do and i have a couple that are looking um, at prior authorization legislation sometimes these bills relate just to pt and we're sponsoring on our own or maybe with the other therapies in other cases they're broader coalitions because a lot of providers in the medical arena have to live with these things that, that that are often difficult but indiana california wisconsin are three states that are looking at this. I was looking and talking to the uh, to one of the chapters recently, and they're looking at joining a coalition of states that are looking at what we call gold card legislation. And there's actually a federal bill right now that is, uh, I believe pending, according to my federal counterparts. And basically what this would do is say that if you are a provider and 90% of the claims that you're submitting on behalf of patients, if 90% of them that require prior authorization are not denied, that you could potentially get what we call a gold card to have in the future not go through the prior authorization processes that you've had before. So that holds some promise, the approach that Washington State holds some promise as well as some of these other bills that I just mentioned, you know, a lot of it is providing transparency. You know, why are these decisions being made? Are they being made, as they said, in the Louisiana law, based on, quote, performance and adherence to evidence-based medicine?
1: I know this kind of trend is happening in Medicare Advantage, too, at the federal level there. I know there's some legislation out there, uh, I think, that's looking at some of this stuff in MA uh, programs. I should have mentioned that this level of advocacy that we engage in is very much collaborative. This isn't like APTA national coming in and advocating. We're working very closely with the state chapters to, uh, on all of these issues that we're going to be talking about. Right. I mean, this is, this is a really a very state chapter driven kind of, uh, efforts around here. Right. Daniel. A hundred
2: percent. I mean, state chapters, they have each a legislative committee. That uh, considers on behalf of their chapters, members, what type of legislation they want to prioritize, potentially what they want to fight, bills they don't like, and often more importantly, like the bills we've been talking about, what they want to promote. Each state chapter has a contract state lobbyist that's a paid lobbyist that lobbies on their behalf. So it's really the state chapters that are driving the ball on state legislation. We here at the APTA headquarters and the State Affairs Department are really here as a resource for them in supporting them. You know, we have the benefit of having kind of this 10,000 foot view so we can know what's happening because we're talking to lots of chapters on on, on a weekly basis. And so we know what's happening in one state, you know, I just told you a couple of states that are working on prior authorization. So when I hear from another state that wants to consider joining a coalition on prior authorization or introducing a PT specific prior authorization bill, I can refer them and talk with other chapters so they can learn some of the lessons that um, that previous chapters have had on some of the same similar, if not same issues.
1: Yeah, we're here to make those connections and really empower the the state chapters in whatever ways we can. Another issue that's been moving fairly rapidly, like thanks to the pandemic, I suppose, and uh the public health emergency is telehealth for PTs and PTAs. What kind of advances did we see across states in that space? And do you see those continuing in 2023?
2: Sure. So telehealth has obviously moved late years. I mean, because of the pandemic. I mean So many PT clinics, as well as uh, other providers, doctors' offices and and the like, you know, were basically having to shut down at the heights of COVID. And it really provided a bridge for PTs and others to see their patients and give them the care that, that they needed. While not always appropriate, oftentimes, you know, telehealth, it really can't be seen as a total replacement in all cases. For physical therapy, obviously, if you need joint mobilization, obviously, it's going to be hard to give that via telehealth. I joke that even, believe it or not, some dentists are doing telehealth. And my joke is that, yes, a root canal would be pretty hard to give via telehealth. So, you know, initially, there were not a lot of laws on telehealth and a lot of states issued emergency orders during the height of the pandemic. And really for a couple things. Basically, practice as it relates to PTs. Practice acts generally have been silent on, on telehealth. It doesn't say that you can or cannot do it. Generally, it's believed not as a intervention, but just as a means of an intervention. Other state, Some states did have laws that regulated it. Oftentimes, it was really seen before the pandemic, I think, for folks that were in rural areas that were away from, uh, you know, it was a 50, 100-mile drive oftentimes they had to go to third-party sites maybe in their in their community and it really delved and in, moved into um something very different something uh, at your home so you know in some cases we got emergency orders and then sometimes permanent laws in the last year or two that allowed for telehealth that explicitly says even though i said pt practice acts generally did not not allow it but we put In some practice acts, but in other cases, a lot of times in other parts of law, we put um, language or there was language put that basically said that you can do telehealth. The other part of it related to payment, we have gotten emergency orders and follow up to that some permanent laws that basically say you get payment and coverage parity. So coverage parity is if you get paid for it for a, a certain procedure or certain CPT code via in-person, then the law basically says you need to, or the emergency order says you need to be paid for that via telehealth. Obviously, root canal for a dentist you can't do um, and certain things for PTs. Then the payment parity part related to if you get, if the reimbursement rate is, let's say, $100 for an in-person visit, it needs to be $100 for telehealth. So that was payment parity and coverage parity. In 2022, we did see some legislation, and let me just run through a a couple bills. This is not completely exhaustive, but Indiana actually originally under their law, PTAs could not provide telehealth, and they got a law changed. uh, So basically, PTAs are now included in the list of healthcare personnel permitted to provide uh, services via telehealth. Flexibility. Under a new law in Kentucky, professional licensing boards now cannot prohibit the delivery of telehealth services to a person who is not a permanent resident of Kentucky, but is temporarily located in a state by a provider who is credentialed by a professional licensing board in that person's state where their permanent residence is. So that was another one that provided some flexibility. Louisiana actually passed back to the payment model. They passed a bill that now requires payers to accept physical therapy delivered through telehealth with payment not reduced in comparison with in-person services. Um, Vermont actually had an interesting bill and this relates to licensure. It says that providers from outside the state can now get telehealth only license or registration that allows them to see patients when the patients are physically in Vermont. The license and registration are easier to obtain than a full license. However, providers can't open up physical offices or provide in-person services to consumers located in Vermont. So that was kind of interesting. You know, to delve into another issue is is PT Compact. You know, the whole idea, because PT Compact, even though it's not specifically related to telehealth, It really is all about providing flexibility about location that a provider can more easily treat someone in another state. Sometimes that could be a traveling PT. Sometimes that could be someone via telehealth. So those issues are interlinked. We are looking at this next year, just to give you kind of a preview on on another issue, PT Compact, we're up to, I believe, 35 states that have passed PT Compact legislation. And we've been talking with chapters who are looking to introduce legislation in 2023. And so far we have on our list, Alaska, Michigan, Wyoming, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Nevada, and Connecticut as looking to pursue PT compact legislation. So who knows, maybe we'll be up to 40 states there. And that, as I say, in conjunction with allowing more telehealth, will just provide more access to PT services, and especially in in underserved areas and especially in rural areas.
1: It's certainly an important change, and I think I say this like every time we talk about this, but it's uh, adoption of the compact across the states has really been fairly rapid for us. Uh, and I think it's partly the times, but other professions that have pursued these compact arrangements, I know it's taken them a lot longer than it's taken us to you know, get this kind of mass of states participating. So that's that's really good.
2: I was just gonna say, I was at a uh, national conference of state legislatures educational meeting earlier this summer. A whole lot of different professions were there. And I met someone from the nurses compact and they've been at it for like 20 years. Yeah. And we we don't have that many fewer than they do and we've only been at it I believe since I came here in 2019 but I believe we started in in 2016. So we've yeah. had a a really rapid uh increase in, in in and 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 like I said with the advent of telehealth with the advent of a more mobile society during covid we definitely are seeing the benefits of that.
1: I know we want to move on to a couple other things, but i I wanted to go back to telehealth real quick because this is something I always think about, and I think we've talked about this, you know sort of between each other, which is when we're talking about states allowing telehealth, states allowing telehealth in quotes, what do we really mean by that? I mean, in what context and and, and you know, you kind of mentioned it, I think, in prior authorization in that, you know, yes, it's good, but there's a lane in which it exists for states. So when we're talking about telehealth in states, what do we really mean?
2: I mean, I think it's a lot of states and the profession, I think, uh, as well, see telehealth as a complement to in-person treatment. Obviously. In some cases, it's just not possible. In other cases, maybe it's not always advisable. You know, it's maybe nice to meet your doctor or your PT, even if you're not going to need a hands on intervention. So I think it's a compliment. You know, some states I actually recently read an article that uh, was talking about lobbyists at the state level that are anticipating that some states may want to walk back some of the telehealth policies that they've enacted, either through emergency order or maybe through law, because there are fears of such things as fraud, overutilization, and actually, believe it or not, not so much for PTs, but abortion politics has been cited as something that people are concerned about as some states have more restrictive abortion laws in the advent of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. There's a fear, among some in states that want people to adhere to these new abortion laws that a patient could go via telehealth to a provider in another state and maybe even be prescribed medication that they would view as not appropriate or potentially even illegal in their state so not so much a pt thing but i think it's going to take some you know some time to see where this fits in but i think a lot of people even though there's probably a variety of viewpoints within the PT profession. But I think a lot of people and most people see it as a complement to in-person care and not always as a replacement. And I think legislators, a lot of them are are in line with that, but need to be educated about PT specifically and what telehealth can offer and potentially the limits of telehealth in the PT profession.
1: And the second part of that is, let me put it this way. When a state says PTs can engage in telehealth. That doesn't mean, or does it, that I now as a PT in that state can engage in telehealth and whatever, regardless of the payer and regardless of the uh, the situation, right?
2: Well, the payer issue is completely separate. And, you know, one is your ability to actually perform it. And the other is, and, and one of the things like is, is licensure. I mean, if you're from another state and you, I, we've had a lot of calls, you know, people want to know whether or not they can do telehealth. To a patient that is their patient in their state, but that patient maybe is on vacation in another state, where well, they're not licensed in that state. And generally, the law is that you need to be licensed where your patient is at the time of service. So that's an issue. Other potential controls. The payer issue is, you know, yeah, I mean, some laws have been passed. Like I said, remember, it's only on the commercial payers that the, that the state regulates and potentially Medicaid, but, you know, It is the legislatures and and we've supported these laws say that, yeah, if you're if it's feasible and you can pay for it via in-person at a certain rate, you should be able to cover it at the same rate via telehealth. And we've been supportive of those laws.
1: Thanks. Finally, I know that telehealth and prior authorization weren't the only issues that were addressed at the state level. Any other highlights you want to mention and uh, thoughts on upcoming legislative considerations?
2: Yeah, absolutely. States are doing a, a lot of different things, juggling a lot of balls. One thing I wanted to highlight, which is kind of a, a new emerging issue, I believe we have a nine, nine states now that allow explicitly, most practice acts are silent on the issue, and that relates to imaging referral, ordering x-rays, MRIs, and the like. And uh, Arizona passed a law in 2022 that allows for x-rays, which was an addition. We've also seen some board opinions that are allowing it in addition to legislation. The year before we had, um, let's see, Rhode Island, I think it was 2021, we had Rhode Island and North Dakota that passed legislation. But we've been talking to chapters such as Kentucky, Wyoming, North Carolina, a few others that are looking to uh, either introduce imaging referral legislation or to see if they can get a regulation passed, something preferable because it's less time consuming, easier to do or get a board opinion issued. So we're looking definitely at that. Fair copay, the idea that you cannot charge a copay more than is charged for a primary care visit. That's something that although we we didn't have legislation that passed this year, we're looking at a couple of states next year, Ohio, Wyoming, Maryland, that are looking at pursuing fair copay legislation. Now we have most states that allow dry needling. There's only a few that don't. So we're looking to pursue um, that. And back to one of our perennial favorites that we've had so much accomplishment really prior to when I got here over the past 10, 20 years is direct access. And um, we're looking at potential legislation in Alabama, Missouri, and Mississippi, states that have pursued, they, they have some of the more limited direct access laws, and they pursued legislation, but it hasn't Across the finish line in the past in terms of what they want to see in their direct access laws. So we expect them to reintroduce legislation in 2023 as well.
1: Well, thanks as always, Daniel. Now we're going to take a quick break, but stick around. When we come back, we're going to talk about a state-controlled issue that may be bigger than you think, Medicaid. We're back. Here's something you may not have thought about much. Um, Medicaid's Big, it's really big. Some 89 million Americans are enrolled in the program and there's every indication that that number will continue to rise. And while Medicaid is a a federal program with federal regulatory elements. It's the individual states that oversee their own versions with their own rules. And that's right down to whether physical therapy is covered in the first place. So Taj is here and I wanted to turn to you to give listeners the basics of APTA's advocacy in this space which uh, again, as I say, is very much state-based. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes Medicaid advocacy a a little different?
0: Thank you for that question, Choi. Well, I should start by saying there's no exaggeration that Medicaid is huge. 27% of the United States population uses Medicaid and 35.9% of American children are on Medicaid or CHIP. The stresses of the pandemic over the last two years have caused the numbers to increase to what we see reported today. With that being said, Medicaid looks different in each state. Even though it is a federally mandated program, individual states have the discretion on how they choose to manage the program, including through managed care organizations, also known as MCOs. MCOs provide the delivery of Medicaid health benefits and additional services through contracted arrangements between the state's Medicaid agencies. Here in the state affairs department, I know Daniel has mentioned some of them earlier. We have noted the following three major issues for our states. The first is higher reimbursements. There are some states that have obtained higher Medicaid rates. Some examples are Wisconsin and Georgia. Fundamental strategies for states making its case are key relationships. This includes both decision makers and like-minded organizations and timely data. The second is what we want to make easier on PTs who are providers through Medicaid. We understand administration burden and want to aim for each state to have a reasonable prior authorization process. The third is we want to encourage more PTs to become providers. With 89 million Americans enrolled, there are a lot of clientele out there. We have definitely come a long way from 1966, which is when Medicaid was first implemented.
1: So what are some of the issues that APTA and our chapters are focusing on right now?
0: Putting on my Medicaid advocacy blinders, the issues that I am aware of that I did not list before are coverage of physical therapy services, coverage of durable medical equipment, also known as DME, a greater range of coverage of evaluation and treatment codes. Some states have limitations in codes available and or if those codes are covered. Managed care is always a big one. Um, There's discrepancies between services covered for children, adults, early and periodic screening, diagnostic and treatment, also known as EPSDT, say that three times fast, provides comprehensive and preventative health care services for children under age 21 who are enrolled in Medicaid. And biggest of all on the list for some states is Medicaid expansion.
1: Thanks so much, Taj. I know we've said this before. We say it in every podcast, it seems like, but it's important for our members to understand just how important advocacy is at the state level. There's like no getting around the fact that federal level issues, particularly issues related to payment under Medicare, as we all know, are crucial. There's so much that can happen at the state level that can affect PTs, PTAs, and and patients in in a very direct way. And if we ignore these, we ignore them at our peril, I think. And of course, it's important to not just pay attention, but to be involved. And so that takes me to my last question before we go. Daniel, what's your advice to someone who wants to get involved in state advocacy, whether around Medicaid as Taj described or or any of the other issues we've talked about?
2: Sure, it's reach out to your chapters, join a legislative committee. We actually help chapters with action alerts which are basically uh, emails that you can send to your legislators. So as an APTA member, you should be getting uh, from time to time uh, action alerts, basically asking you to send an email that's basically been written for you so you don't have to do a whole lot. You can personalize it, but respond to those. A lot of states have uh, legislative days where they uh, get you know, a couple hundred physical therapists and often physical therapists uh, and physical therapist assistants and, and students to go to the state capitol on that day. It's usually held in a lot of states during the winter, spring months when the legislatures are in session. You know, grassroots, I always tell folks that, you know, you can have the best lobbyists. The governor will take his or her call. Um, They're totally wired in, but there's limits to that in terms of legislators wanting to hear from the people that are really affected by the policies that they are potentially going to enact. To hear from a constituent from a PT clinic in a legislator's district that has a connection, you know, maybe that person even knows the legislator, or knows someone that knows the legislator, or you know, is part of a community organization that the legislator is aware of. You know, it's just so important to do the grassroots because you know the lobbyists will have all the and, and don't want to discount the lobbyists; They're, they play a very important role, but they can have like. Taj and I can have all the facts and the statistics, and those are important in the arguments we make, but to tell a real life story that this prior authorization bill uh, is gonna fix a situation where we had a patient that was delayed care and it had an adverse uh, outcome, or a delayed outcome, delayed positive outcome, are really stories that legislators need to hear. So I encourage you to contact your, um, your state chapter and get involved today
1: yeah a, amen to that and uh I'll, I'll tell you from everything i've heard the the people who are involved in state advocacy welcome new people to the process and are happy to mentor them and to lead them through so if you're if you feel like getting involved don't think you're going to be sort of set adrift uh, to 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 do this work because there are just a uh, bunch of great people that are already uh, leading these efforts in the states and and can certainly use the help. So Taj and Daniel, thanks again for helping out here today. Uh, You know, of course, APTA's work at the state level is, is just a part of a much larger advocacy picture, which is part of a much larger range of activities happening all over APTA every day. And if you want to keep up with all the goings on, be sure to look for APTA Weekly, which shows up in your email inbox every Wednesday. Each week, we get you up to speed with the important issues, upcoming events, member perspectives, and a lot more. If you're a member, you're automatically signed up for the space but you can unsubscribe if you like, and you, you may have done that when you were clicking around the website. So if you did, come on and turn it back on. We miss you. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for listening.
0: You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.